I want to talk to you today about persecution. Persecution. Um, sometimes we think we've got it really bad here, don't we? Uh, I was just thinking as I was sitting up here this morning that I had to get up this morning and make my own coffee. And uh, that was suffering for the Lord, you know. And Kathy finally got up and she made her way out to where I was sitting and, and uh, she said, you need coffee? I said, no, I fixed it myself. And, uh, and it was hard, too, you know. I went in and I put the coffee cup under the little thing and I put the little pod in and I pushed this button and, and I had to sit there for like 10 seconds, 15 seconds while it brewed. It was really tough. And so I know what suffering is about this morning, right? And I, and I say that joking because we, we as Americans and as Christians in America sometimes don't really understand what suffering is really all about. We get glimpses of it in the scripture, but uh, how many of you are familiar with the news in recent weeks, all that is going on in this world that we live in? Uh, There are brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering, and many times you don't hear on the news that they're suffering because they're Christians. You just hear that they're being persecuted, and and you do hear about the, the Islam and all this, but many are suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, so this morning, I want to talk to you about that kind of suffering. And by the way, while we have it easy here, it may not always be easy here in America. And we might indeed be seeing the beginnings of suffering in our own country when we see attacks against Christianity here in the legal realm. The next realm may be when all of a sudden we're considered hateful and, and bigots and all of these things, and we'll be blamed for many of the ills that Come on, America, that is kind of how it goes. And the day may come when we're not free to worship God the way we do today. The day may come when we don't have to just battle the elements to get here or find a parking space to get here, but maybe we have to be careful for our lives to even get here. So it's important that we look at these passages. I want to read a couple before we get to Philippians, though. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12, Jesus gives part of what is called the Beatitudes. And we did a series of messages on the Beatitudes several months ago. But in the midst of the Beatitudes, he talks about persecution and suffering. And I I want us to just think about this, that sometimes we think of Christianity as we give our hearts to Jesus and he makes everything great, right? Right? Man, we give our hearts to Jesus, he washes our sins away, and he gives us a nice house, and he gives us a nice car, and he gives us a better job, and you know, he just makes everything great in our lives. But that's a little different than what the Bible portrays of Jesus bringing to us. After all, we, gave, we serve a Savior who came from heaven to earth, was born of a virgin, and then while he walked on this earth, he faced all the things that we face. And when he began his earthly ministry, he faced persecution after persecution after persecution. Ultimately, he was arrested, he was beaten, he was nailed on an old rugged cross. He suffered for not his sins, but for our sins. And we say we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to live like Jesus. And that needs to be understood that that means we may suffer like Jesus suffered. And that's what some of these passages are going to say. Matthew 5 and 10 said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. 
And so that's Christ speaking. And he says, this is one of the marks of happiness. This is the man who has been blessed by God. He says, make no mistake, we are blessed when we are persecuted for righteousness sake. When others speak against us evilly, when they say terrible things about us, he says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for our reward is great in heaven. And I think we've just got a hold of this idea that the reward comes here below. And while there are many blessings that come below, our ultimate reward, the reward when everything will be good, is beyond this life, isn't it? I mean, the time will come when he's going to take everything in our life, he's going to make it right. The time will come when we'll be sick no more, but that's in heaven. The time will come when we will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And, but that's down the road, isn't it? Down here below, it may indeed be given to us to suffer for Christ's sake. In fact, in Philippians 1 and 29, and we're going to get there this, this morning, we're going to go through this chapter, but listen to what he says in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, live your life as if the world looked at you and said, does he deserve to be called a Christian? Does she deserve to be called a Christian? Live your life in such a way that you're worthy of that name by which you're called. So that whether I come and see you or else I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm. And these are words to a church that is suffering, written from an apostle in prison. He says, I want to hear about you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving, he says, side by side for the faith of the gospel, fighting for the gospel. Doesn't sound like an easy faith that he's talking about. Verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that from God. For it has been granted. Now catch 29. For it has been granted or given. And the word granted there is almost like a gift. It has been given to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that I saw, that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So this gospel that that comes along to us is a gospel much different than many times we hear in America. In John 15 and 18, Jesus said this, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And he gives us this understanding of why the hatred and why the persecution and why, why is there this animosity towards Christians, towards those who follow Christ. And he says this, don't you understand that they hated me long before they hated you? And he goes a step further. He says, the reason that they hate you is because of me. In verse 19, he says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. When you think about that, that really makes us wonder sometimes why in America we don't suffer more as Christians than what we do. Is it maybe because we as a church and we as Christians, as individuals or the church in general in America, maybe we have just fit into this world a little too comfortably? Maybe we've become a little bit too much like this world. We're no longer salt that kind of upsets things. We're no longer living a lifestyle that when people look at us, they they say, you're so different than us. But maybe the world is okay with us because we live just like they do. We talk like they do. We dress like they do. We act like they do. We we enjoy the same types of things that they do. And and they look at us and say, "They're, they're, they're ours. They're just like us. Christ said, 
when you follow me, it says the world's not going to love you. They're going to persecute you. And they're going to hate you. And isn't that when we find our greatest persecution in the church today? It's when we speak up and we say, that's not right. It's when we stand and say, that's not what I believe. That all of a sudden, the world kind of steps in and says, you, you're, you're, you're hateful and, and, and you're intolerant is the big word now. You, you've got to love everybody. And isn't it amazing that everybody's opinion matters except that of the Christian who quotes God's word? He says, they hated you because they hate me. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. In Romans 8 and 18, he said this. The apostle writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time uh, are, not worthy, uh, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So Paul gives this understanding, and he is one who knew suffering that says, whatever you suffer for Christ's sake, it doesn't even compare with what God has for you. So with all of that in mind, I want to talk to you about suffering and what we can gather from it and and maybe what we can benefit from those who are suffering on our behalf. In recent news, you've seen the pastor in Iran that's been held as a prisoner there for several years now. and His wife makes appearances and pleads with people to pray for her husband, Pastor Saeed. And as we pray for this man, he's facing what the Bible talked about imprisoned for his faith. And just recently there was a woman in Sudan, a a pregnant wife, a mother that's been held prisoner there. And I believe she was released for a short time and then captured back up for a whole different reason, but facing persecution. And in Iraq now, as we see this ISIS force moving across the country, people are being killed if they refuse to convert, convert to Islam. If they have found to convert to Christianity, they're destroyed, they're wiped out, and they face persecution. In the Philippines, persecution is crazy against Christian churches and Christian believers. All throughout the world, we face persecution. In a recent article, Southern Baptist leader Russell Moore wrote this. He had attended their denomination's national meeting. And at that meeting, he had sat with Pastor Saeed, the pastor in Iran, his wife, and, and they had mentioned and prayed with him. And during the process of this, he went to a ball game while he was there at the convention. And he said it just messed up his whole baseball game as he sat there and thought about what Christians in other areas of the world are facing. This is what he writes. He said, in the religion aisle at any given bookstore, one can see volumes promising every day a Friday, and so on. Jesus is the totem to acquire what American culture has told us that we deserve. This is closer to Canaanite fertility religion than to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have become the people Jesus warned us about. When we encounter those persecuted around the world, we see a glimpse of what Jesus has called us to do. We see the sort of faith that isn't a a means to an end, We see the sort of faith that joins the global body of Christ across time and space in the confession of a different sort of reign. We see a gospel that isn't the American dream with heaven at the end. When we pray for those in prison for their faith, we remember that the gospel came to us in letters written from jail. When we plead for those whose churches are burned in Egypt, we remember that our hope isn't in building religious empires, but in a new Jerusalem we've never seen. When we weep for those crucified in Syria, we remember that our Lord isn't a guru or a life coach, but a crucified Christ. That can remind us of the gospel we signed up for in the first place and free us from our fat, 
affluent, almost gospels that can never save. Maybe at next year's denominational meeting, we'll go to another ball game. And I pray it's possible that not only this wife, but also her husband can join us as a free man. We'll celebrate and we'll pray for those still in chains. But then, but then I think we'll just ask him to preach. We American evangelicals need our persecuted brother more than he needs us. And I thought that was very telling that we realized that that man in bonds and in prison, he doesn't need us as much as we need him. As kind of a wake-up call to maybe what we'll face down the road or maybe a wake-up call to what our faith is really all about of giving our all for Christ. In Philippians 1, the Apostle Paul, probably the one who suffered the most in Scriptures for his faith, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ, Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. When we read that passage, I just want to talk to you about that this morning. Number one, he says, what has happened to me? The Apostle Paul writes this letter, and if you go through the book of Philippians, it is a letter that is filled with joy and peace. And he talks even in there about how we can maintain joy in our suffering, how that we can be happy and how that we can be content. And in the midst of all that, we, it's easy for us to forget except for words like imprisonment and chains that the apostle wrote this letter from prison. Here's the guy sitting in a jail cell, writing to the church who's home in the comfort of their homes, telling them, be filled with joy. Let joy overflow out of your hearts and be a testimony of of peace. And, and, And here he is, he's being persecuted for Christ. That is amazing. How many of us in the comfort of our lives ever complain and mumble and groan about everything? One of the brothers and I were talking on the front porch earlier, and we, we men, we tend to solve all of life's problems on the front porch of the church before we get here. And I said, hey, how's life treating you, man? He says, oh, pretty good. He says, it's, it's not all good. And I said, no, wouldn't it be better if we could control everything in our lives? Because then we would know it would all be good, right? And we both kind of laughed and realized we'd probably make a mess of it. Don't we complain so much? And Paul, in the midst of his suffering, writes this letter encouraging the church to rejoice. Encouraging the church to rejoice. And he gives them these things. He says, here's the advantages to his suffering. He's in prison. He's been in prison. He's no longer free to move about. He's no longer free, even though he wants to go see these people. He can't go see them. And in the midst of this, he says, but let me just tell you, and he does this for a couple of reasons. One, God has inspired him to write these things. But two, he's afraid that maybe the fact that he's in prison will hamper his message. 
I mean, after all, it might hurt your credibility a little bit if you're preaching from prison, right? If next Sunday morning you rolled in here and, and uh, you know, they popped up on the screen a live feed and this is Pastor Mike coming to you from Wiley's Hotel out here, you know. I'm going to preach to you today about living a good life, you know. You might have some questions about Pastor Mike and his lifestyle. He says, I'm in prison, but he says, I want you to know something. I'm here for my faith. I'm here to serve God. And then he says, there's a purpose behind it. The purpose, he says, is number one, he says, even here, the gospel is being advanced. The gospel is being advanced. You see, God put Paul right where he wanted him, right where he needed to be. In fact, he couldn't have been in a better place to spread the gospel throughout the kingdom. It says that it started in the palace with those who were in royalty, and it started there, and it went everywhere else that they heard about it. In other words, the fact that he was in prison wasn't stopping him from serving God and from preaching the gospel. And you and I may face some suffering in this life, and maybe you're going through some suffering right now, but in the midst of our suffering, we should be able to have the same confidence that Paul said, that no matter where I am and no matter what I'm going through, I want the gospel of Christ to be flowing out of me. I want people to know that I trust a Savior, that if, if he sees me through this, praise God. If he decides to take me on home, praise God. If he decides to let me suffer in the condition I'm in, I'm still going to praise God. Because I know that he has been so good to me. And he has actually been better to me than what I deserve. That the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That if I were to suffer every day of my life from this day forward, I would not get what I deserve for the sin in my life. But God has something great for me beyond this life. And Paul from prison says, the gospel still advances. And then he says, not only does the gospel still advance, he says, but because I'm here, he says, many have more courage and boldness to preach the gospel elsewhere. And that's really one that ought to shake us up a little bit. When we think about these that are suffering persecution for their faith throughout the world, it ought to give us the courage. If they can live for God at the threat of their lives, certainly we should be able to live for God where we're free to do so. If they go to prison for attending a church service or for carrying a Bible or for professing their faith in Christ or for witnessing to a friend, and they do that at the face of prison or even death, couldn't we do those same things without these threats upon us? That if they have the courage to, to spend a year or two years or three years in jail for their faith, couldn't we live out our faith here where it's free to be done? But the truth is, in this world, some are serving God better with the threat hanging over their head than what the American church serves with the freedom to serve Him just as we please. And so he says, the encouragement of others. And he acknowledges, he says, Christ is being preached regardless of the motivation. He said, there are some that do it out of love, and that's great. There are some that have recognized that, hey, if Paul can go to prison for his preaching of the gospel, then I'll be in good company if I go to prison. They almost admired him to the point of following in his steps all the way to the jail cell for preaching the gospel. They said some do it out of love. They said he won't be alone if we go there. 
But he says there's others that do it for different motivations. Some, he said, out of envy and out of jealousy. And, and some probably almost looked at it, well, now that the apostle's out of the way, we can expand our empire. We can expand our religious field. Almost like the guy that waits for his business competition to go out of business so that he can take over his customers. And Paul said, there are some that are just glad I'm out of the way because they want more influence and more power in the church. But his attitude is sweet. He says, I really don't care as long as Christ is preached. That's what matters most. And what is it that keeps Paul so positive in his suffering? He says in verse 19, two things. Number one, the prayers of the church. This morning, as part of this message, part of my challenge is for us to maybe stop listening to the news the same way. Maybe stop watching the news the same way we're used to doing it. And maybe rather than just getting angry or getting upset at somebody, maybe we could start spending more time on our knees praying for Christians all around the world that are suffering for Christ. Maybe instead of, you know, getting ready to go and wipe people out, we could just say, God, be with our brothers and sisters. God, give them the strength, give them the grace, give them the mercy to maintain their testimony. But he says, it's the prayers of the church that keep me going. And then he also says in verse 19, not only that, but the help of the Holy Spirit keeps him going. Brother and sister, aren't you glad for the Holy Spirit in our lives? That God's Spirit is our comforter. And even when Jesus left, he says, I'm not going to leave you totally alone. I'm going to send you another just like me, the comforter. He's going to be with you and he's going to guide you and he's going to teach you and he's going to convict you and he's going to support you and give you strength to carry on. We have this comforter, this Holy Spirit that will see us through our suffering. That if he would carry Paul through prison and through beatings and through shipwrecks, and if that Holy Spirit would give him the strength to do it, Can't the Holy Spirit also give us the strength to face whatever it is we face tomorrow? Revelation talks, and he says here in chapter 12, verse 11, he's talked about the fall of Satan and his angels, and he talks about the church under persecution. And then he sums in verse 11, he says, and they have conquered him, the evil one. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives, even unto to death. Brothers and sisters, the greatest way that we'll overcome persecution, suffering, and trials is, number one, through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the testimony of Christ. This morning, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, you need victory more than any of us. If you do not know Christ as your Savior, the evil one that he speaks of in Revelation has you in his grasp right now. He's having his way with your life. He is messing things up for you. He is tripping you up every chance he gets. He's trying to destroy you. John, Jesus spoke in John. He says the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's what the enemy wants to do. And so we many times look and we think, oh, the persecution of the church and Satan is after them, and he is. But he's after every one of us. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, he's having his way with you. But Jesus said you can overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. By giving your heart to Christ. By letting the blood of Jesus be applied. And by the word of the testimony. Paul went on in that Philippians 1 passage. Remember, he said, it's not only given to us to believe in Jesus Christ, 
but also to suffer for his sake. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just...